0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, May 4th, and this is your FT News Briefing. U.S. and European banks are betting on bad loans to a degree they haven't since the 2008 financial crisis. And the global market sell-off pushed Berkshire Hathaway to a $50 billion loss in the first quarter. Plus, the FT's deputy editor, Patrick Jenkins, explains how BlackRock's small consultancy division came to have a growing influence on a number of governments. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. More than $50 billion. That's how much U.S. and European banks are expected to book against bad loans in the first quarter. They're bracing themselves for the severe damage brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. Now, we've seen some of these numbers come in already. U.S. banks have been the most cautious, booking $25 billion in the first quarter. So far, European banks have reported an increase in provisions to 16 billion euros. But we'll see the full extent of these provisions this week as BNP Paribas, ING, and Unicredit report earnings. And when they do, the level of first quarter provisions across U.S. and European banks is expected to reach a level not seen since the 2008 global financial crisis. One outlier, Deutsche Bank. It set aside just 500 million euros in the first quarter. Then again, while many banks book their highest loan loss provision since the global financial crisis in the past week... Deutsche has posted at least 7 quarters in the past decade with greater loan loss charges. Over the weekend, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway reported a first quarter loss of nearly 50 billion dollars. This was brought on by the pandemic-induced sharp global sell-off we saw in March. But these losses could be softened in the next quarter, considering the recent direction of the markets. The FT's Eric Platt explains.
1: When I spoke to analysts this weekend, they said to expect if the market were to settle where it is right now, which is up nicely from its March low, that we'd see a nice gain in Berkshire's overall net income number. But more importantly, many of them are pointing to kind of the little snippets that we learned about individual Berkshire subsidiary companies, right? Think Geico, Burlington Northern, Santa Fe Railroad, NetJets, Dairy Queen. And what we started to learn is that actually many of them have been deeply impacted by the coronavirus outbreak right? The railroad, for instance, saw a sharp drop in consumer shipments. GEICO luckily has benefited, at least in the near term, given people aren't driving as much, so it, doesn't, it hasn't had to pay out as many insurance claims. But there are fears around, well, GEICO is trying to gain market share and do people actually switch insurance during a crisis. So Berkshire is really a perfect microcosm of the U.S. industrial heartland. We're starting to pick up is it's going to be a difficult second quarter for the company, at least on that front.
0: So, Eric, what did we learn about the future of Berkshire's leadership at Berkshire's annual shareholder meeting?
1: Yeah, it was an unusual annual meeting, right? This is an event that normally draws more than 40,000 people to Omaha, Nebraska. And this year, everyone had to watch from their homes. And alongside Warren Buffett, the chief executive of Berkshire Hathaway, we also had Greg Abel, who's one of the vice chairmen of the companies. And he's actually seen by many people as the most likely successor to Mr. Buffett. And I think a lot of people were disappointed with what they saw and heard from Greg. He really stayed in his lane, which was talking about the operations of the business. He didn't deviate as much as Mr. Buffett or his longtime number two as the company Charlie Munger typically do, where they offer advice on investments or capitalism or just history lessons on their time as fund managers. And so I think some people were hoping to hear a little bit more from Greg, especially if he is the man who will one day preside over one of the largest companies in the world.
0: BlackRock. The world's biggest asset manager is among the top investors in almost every blue chip company in the world. But its influence, and the influence of its chairman, Larry Fink, extends far beyond its function as a vast asset manager. Take its small consultancy division, its financial markets advisory unit. It contributed less than 1% of the group's $14.5 billion in revenue last year. But it offers advisory expertise to a number of governments, having won contracts from the U.S. to oversee billions of dollars in stimulus money and from the EU to shape new sustainable finance rules. And this has raised questions about conflicts of interest. Our deputy editor, Patrick Jenkins, has more.
2: If I go back a little bit into the roots of this business, it certainly came to prominence back in the global financial crisis when it started to do post-crisis response work with the US authorities. It's popped up again now and it won a big contract with the Fed, it's won another contract in Canada. Both of these are controversial because in North America, obviously BlackRock is a massive investor, And it's very involved through these programs in designing parts of the bailout systems that will advantage investors, of which it is one of the biggest. And then entirely separately, in Brussels, it's won a mandate with the European Commission to do with sustainability measures. And at the same time, it is one of the biggest investors in the banking system which this work is focusing on. It's focusing on rules for the banks and climate risk. So there are obvious conflicts of interest here. The question is, are they going to be managed properly?
0: So Patrick, do critics have the right to be worried here? And I guess, you know, what does BlackRock say in its defense?
2: I suppose, firstly, it is absolutely a fair question to be asking. This company is not only the biggest investor in the world, but They have fingers in so many different pies. They're operating a massive trading system, having a very influential consultancy arm. And they have also spent the past decade in particular building up a really powerful network of people that they employ who are former policymakers and bring with them very good contacts in the policymaking world that they've kind of once worked with. All of these things make BlackRock a very powerful organization. And obviously Larry Fink, who heads the business, is himself extremely well-connected and influential. There are conflicts of interest that need to be managed. Now BlackRock themselves say they take these conflicts extremely seriously. For example, they have a strict Chinese wall that operates between the consultancy division and the rest of the asset management business. I think at the end of the day though, you just have to take a view is this organization now so powerful that it needs to have stricter oversight? I mean, one of the big things that's happened over the past 10 years is that asset managers like BlackRock have grown and grown. And I suppose they've done that partly because they haven't been governed by the same tough regulations that were imposed on banks after the 2008 financial crisis. Given that many of those banks were designated systemically important, more and more questions are now being asked about, Why BlackRock, which has lobbied very, very hard against being designated systemically important, why they managed to evade that? Is it because they've got those fantastic connections? Did that help their case? And if so, well, either way, should that now change, given how important they are in the world?
0: You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Before we go, in order to help you navigate the uncertainty of the global economy in the coronavirus era, the FT has a special offer for one of our best new resources, the Coronavirus Business Update Newsletter. Visit ft.com slash newsbriefingcovid to get free access for 30 days to the Coronavirus Business Update. It's a level-headed expert email briefing on how the pandemic is affecting global markets, business, and workplaces. Just go to ft.com slash